Last time we preached on John uh, chapter 13, if you remember, the story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples at the Last Supper. I don't know if you caught it, but in the middle of the message, I read this verse. It goes like this, John 13, 13. You call me, Jesus is saying this, you call me teacher and Lord. The word is kurios, which uh, um, actually means literally master, uh, which means the one who owns you. You call me teacher and master, and you are right, for so I am. Then he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant, the word in Greek is doulos, it actually means slave. There's another word for just servant in Greek, but he says, truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master. I'm your master, and a slave is not greater than his master, his master, his master. Doesn't that, doesn't that kind of bug you a little bit? You know, there were something like 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire around the time of Jesus. The Greco-Roman world literally ran on the institution of slavery. Biblical scholar Karl Reinsdorf writes this, the distinctive feature of the self-awareness of the Greek is the thought of freedom. The Greek finds his personal dignity in the fact that he is free, independent, free, in the slave, the free Greek would always see his own antitype. In other words, for, for Roman, Greek, and Jew, the very last thing that you ever wanted to be was a slave, followed perhaps by a woman <laughs> or a little child. A slave. A slave uh, was property. No rights, no legal status, considered inferior by nature. Actually, in Roman law, the father of each household, the potestes, had absolute authority over everyone in his household, the women, the children, and the slaves that he owned. People were born into slavery, sold by parents even into slavery, or captured by pirates, or, or captured in a, in a war and made slaves slave, the very last and the least, the slave. You know, it was less than 150 years ago that in this country, you could own a person in certain states? A slave? And it was just uh, 40 years ago that little Ruby Bridges would make her walk to school every day surrounded by U.S. Marshals because thousands of angry white people would stand and yell at her, we're going to kill you, we're going to kill you and all kinds of other racial epitaphs and phrases of hate and anger. Remember, we talked about Ruby just a few weeks ago. Well, today, slavery is illegal in the United States of America, and yet many would argue that there are millions upon millions of socioeconomic slaves in our country, like undocumented laborers, uh, farm workers. I, I love that picture. See that? There's, there's Caesar up there, <laughs> and there's the slaves. Well, whatever society, Jewish, Greek, Roman, American, the last thing anyone aspires to be is a slave. For slaves aren't free, and therefore aren't happy, and therefore aren't blessed. And so clearly the Bible speaks out against slavery, right? Right? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Oiketai means like house slave. 
Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only the good and gentle, but also the unjust. Well, let's try Paul, because Paul, you know, is the apostle of freedom. Ephesians 6, 5, slaves, do loss. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Duh! Paul even sends a runaway slave, Onesimus, back to his master, Philemon. That's what the book of Philemon is, is all about. Well, now, that, that's really troubling. And so in seminaries and Bible schools and classes all around the country, these are the verses that people cite to say, you know, we really can't trust the Bible we can't trust the stuff in the Bible, the trust stuff that it, that it says about all kinds of things, because after all, the Bible advocates slavery, and it's obvious that that institution is absolutely unjust. Evangelicals and conservatives do their best to explain those verses away. And so we often translate slave as servant, stuff like that. And yet it's abundantly clear that at least in the New Testament, there is no place where slaves are encouraged to demand their rights and rebel, but several places where they are told just to do the opposite, submit. And that fact has been used to justify some just absolutely incredibly evil and horrific things. You see, that's all pretty confusing for us empowered modern American evangelical Christians, especially when you consider that the Old Testament, check this out, the Old Testament is all about a nation, an entire nation of slaves claiming their God-given rights, rebelling against their masters and being led on a journey from bondage to freedom, a promised land, the land of the free. But Jesus, the New Testament, seemed rather sketchy on the whole topic. So thank God for the Declaration of Independence, huh? Let's read it. All right. July 4, 1776, unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth, the powers of the earth, what is that? The separate and equal station to which the laws of nature, I guess that's like survival of the fittest, the laws of nature and of nature's God. Na who is the ruler of the, anyway, nature's God entitle them, etc., etc., etc. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those words were penned by Thomas Jefferson, who happened to own 187 slaves. But let's not think about that now. I got these unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, it's like a religion in the United States of, of, of America. My religion, those rights, a religion that ensures no one is a slave and everyone is a master. And so according to the law, I protect myself from slavery by claiming my rights and pursuing happiness. To put it in modern psychological lingo, I pursue happiness by climbing Abraham Maslow's um, pyramid of self-actualization. You remember this from, 
from Psych 101, right? His hierarchy of, of, of needs. Happiness at, is at the top. So, so to climb the pyramid and make the journey to blessedness, I need, first of all, to take care of my physiological needs, my physical needs, like um, air, water, food, shelter, sleep. Uh, well, well, I won't do that last one. But most of those things require money, right? They require money. Check this out. This attache case is full of money. Believe it or not, it's full of money. And that spells freedom. It spells freedom, first level. Second, I need safety and security. I need armor like this. And I need weapons like this. And I need to claim my rights according to the law. I need a bunch of, of laws like this. I need to claim my rights according to the law. Third level of Maslow's pyramid of self-actualization is I need to belong. I need to belong. In other words, I need honor and respect. See this? You know when I got this? When I graduated from Fuller Theological Seminary with a Master's of Divinity degree and was ordained in the Presbyterian Church USA where I belonged with honor and respect because I earned it, I earned it. And then, and then fourth level of Maslow's pyramid of self-actualization, I need self-esteem. I need to esteem myself. And check that out, see that number one up there? I need to be first, I need to be, I need to be best. I need that blue ribbon in the picture. Well, to be first, Someone else has to be last. In order to be best, someone else has to be worst. I mean, how else could I win? To win, I must become the master of something or, or something or someone. And, and, and so anyway, to pursue happiness, I compete. And I, I clothe myself. I, I clothe myself in respect and honor. I clothe myself in pride. And I put on my, I put on my armor. I pick up my, my weapons. I claim my weapons. I wield my weapons. And, and I, I claim my rights according to the law. These are my rights. I claim my rights. And I chain myself. I, I chain myself to my money. Why do I chain myself to it? Because I want to ensure my freedom. I want to ensure my freedom. And now, now I'm self-actualized. I'm free, I'm, I'm happy. I am the master of my world. I am the Lord of my world. So back off, back off, it's my world. I have, I have a right to, to this world. Don't you touch me, you trying to touch me? You trying to touch me, you trying to touch me? 
I got a right to privacy. I got a, a private world, a right to, I got a right to, I got a right to, are you laughing at me? You questioning my honor? You disrespecting me? I'm happy. I'm free. Now, what do we as the church do in a situation like this, in a world full of people like this? Well, I think what we, we normally do is we, we go, hey, uh, oh, you're pursuing happiness. Well, <laughs> we're the best at pursuing happiness. Actually, we have God's formula for happiness, his formula for happiness, Jesus, that's right, Jesus, he'll help you. You, you wanna be self-actualized? Oh gosh, well you're talking about riches and wealth? Oh, Jesus can make you healthy and wealthy. Safety and security? Oh, I'm telling you, Jesus is the best life insurance, he is the best health insurance out there. And, and, and you want armor? You want weapons? We got the armor of God. Look at that, look at that. We got the armor, we got the armor of, of God. Uh, don't ask me exactly what it is, but we got it. And, huh, you wanna belong? You can belong to us, our club. And you will be proud that you are a Christian. Self-esteem? Oh, Jesus is a winner. Jesus is a winner, so you know what? You can use Jesus to beat your neighbor. That's right, we'll help you use Jesus to become a rich, young ruler. We'll help you use Jesus to build bigger barns so you can take your ease. We'll, 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 we'll help you use Jesus so that you'll never be rejected or persecuted or reviled or, or nailed to a tree. We'll help you use Jesus so that you can become a master, even a master of divinity, yeah? In fact, we'll help you use Jesus to control God. She'll never be a slave again. We'll help you use the knowledge of good and evil to become self-actualized. Maybe we should read our text for the morning. You think? Okay. John, John chapter 13 when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer, outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Do you understand what I've done to you? What did he do to them? Well, you remember, chapter 13, verse 3, knowing that the Father had placed all things within his hands, in his hands, Knowing that he had all wealth and all safety and all security and all sense of belongingness and all self-esteem, knowing that he had all this stuff. Next verse. He rose from the supper and placed aside his, his garments. All this, all this stuff. Now, the ESV says outer garments, but I looked it up, and the word just basically means garments, means clothing. 
He rose from the supper and he placed aside his clothing. Hey, do you remember who invented clothing? It wasn't Levi Strauss. It was Adam and Eve. Right after the snake had tempted them to do what? Make themselves in the image of God with the knowledge of good and evil. He tempted them with self-actualization. And, and when they fell, when they fell, right away they began to make clothes, loincloths, to cover their what? Private parts, their private lives. They made uh, clothes uh, to cover their vulnerability, to cover their differences. They made clothes to protect themselves from each other and from God. They, they invented clothing. So Jesus rose from the supper and he placed aside his garments and he girded himself. This is why I think maybe it means really just garments. He girded himself with a towel and he began to... Uh, wash his disciples' feet, and uh, he washed his disciples' feet with the towel with which he was girded, such that the dirt that was on his disciple was now on the towel that he was wearing. You know, I was going to strip all the way down to my boxers and do that, but my wife said, Peter, don't you dare. And, and I, I was feeling kind of good about that because if I had done that, gosh, that would be, that'd be pretty vulnerable. That'd be pretty humiliating. And yet I think that's the point. And Jesus did that in front of Judas. Jesus, master of all, emptied himself and took the form of a slave, the morphe in Greek of a slave. He literally morphed into a slave, the master of all, a slave. You see, washing people's feet was a job assigned to slaves, Gentile slaves, not even Jewish slaves according to the rabbis. It was a job for slaves, women, and little children. And isn't it interesting that Jesus said, in order to enter my Father's kingdom, you must become like a little child. And once you have entered that kingdom, he refers to you as his bride. That's, that's a woman. And if you call Jesus master, you are simultaneously calling yourself his slave. The kingdom is a kingdom of little children, brides, and slaves. Verse 12. He said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and master, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your master and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master 
nor is a messenger, an apostolos, greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you. I think it's the King James that translates that word in this spot, happy. Do you know why it translates it happy? The words makarios, you you know why? Because I think that's what it means. So, whoa, check this out. I I think you probably thought you'd never hear this coming from my lips, but, but it's true. Jesus is giving us a formula for happiness. What a freaky, weird formula it is. Happy are you if you know these things and do them. Happy are you if you aspire to becoming a slave. Happy are you if you go down the up staircase. Happy are you if you surrender your rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Happy are you if you don't pursue your own happiness, but somebody else's happiness. Happy are the slaves in spirit. Happy are the poor. Happy are the meek. Happy are the mourning. Happy are the reviled and and the persecuted. How thoroughly weird and impractical is that? Impractical. And and yet, do you ever get frustrated with standard American um, practical religion? In other words, where you go and you learn all this religious stuff that then you can go do in order to be blessed, and yet Jesus just doesn't seem uh, to work. And so you feel like you run and you run and you run, and the farther and faster you run, the further away that you get. And so you start thinking to yourself, man, this, this, this Jesus must just be full of baloney. <laughs> kind of like this. Hey, look, we're almost in Colorado. What do you say we change seats? I've been driving for nine straight hours. I don't have the energy to start a new state. Hey, Harry, I got some beef jerk. Some people just weren't cut out for life on the road. the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. That John Denver's full of sh- man. <laughs> I'm only human, Harry! 
You drove almost a sixth of the way across the country in the wrong direction. Maybe all of us humans are driving in the wrong direction. Just like Harry and Lloyd pursuing their promised land, Aspen, Colorado, in the classic film Dumb and Dumber. Maybe the world is traveling in the wrong direction, which is dumb. And maybe we religious types just help them drive faster, which is dumber. And so the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Master of all, hangs on a cross in the middle of the road, revealing that we're not just bad drivers. We're not just driving too slow. We don't just need a new map or a better vehicle. We're driving in the wrong direction. And that's why the last are first. And that's why blessed are the little children. They've been traveling less time, I guess. Blessed are the little children, the slaves, the women. Blessed are the, are the poor. Blessed the meek, the mourning, the reviled, and persecuted. To a friend of mine, a critic once pointed out that if you were to invent a religion to be the exact opposite of Jesus' Beatitudes and like the Gospel of Matthew and even here, he said, you know, if you were to invent a religion like that, it would look pretty much just like the, the church that I attended last Sunday. Not happy are the poor, but happy are the rich. Not happy are the meek, but happy are the assertive. Not happy are the slaves, but happy are the masters. So Jesus said, happy are those who know these things and do them. Wash feet. Dr. M. Scott Peck used to tell about a woman that he was treating for severe depression. One day she came into his office just bubbling over uh, with joy. And he said, well, gosh, what happened to you? And she said, well, um, I, the most incredible thing, actually, my car broke down, and so I didn't have a ride to therapy. And so I called my pastor to see if he'd give me a ride. And he said he could, as long as I was willing to stop with him on the way and make a few house, hospital calls. And so he invited me to go in with him. And, and so uh, I ended up praying for these sick people, uh, talking to these sick people, encouraging these sick people. I mean, I was like touching the, 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 those, those sick people. And well, now I, I just feel so happy. And Dr. Peck said, well, that's really good news. Now we know how to treat your depression. And she looked at him with this confused look and she said, you don't mean to tell me that I have to do that every day. I think we're a lot like that, aren't we? I mean, we taste the happiness of the Lord here and there in, in little bits, but we, we just don't want to trust it. And check this out. I visit sick people in the hospital. I serve. I slave. In fact, it's my job. It's how I earn my pay. But I'm depressed a lot. You serve. You, slave, you're not always happy. 
And so clearly not all slaves are happy. Not all feet washers, bedpan changers, and sewer cleaners are happy. That's for sure. Well, Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So you have to know something and do something. If you know it, but don't do it, you're not knowing it. And if you do it, but don't know it, you're not doing it. And what are we to do? Humble ourselves. Seek the lowest position in any room full of people. Morph into slaves. Wash feet. Clean bedpans. Serve. Even our enemies. So we must, we must do something, but simultaneously know something. Really know something in order to be blessed. If you know these things, said Jesus, what things? Well, here's one thing. Chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus knowing that the Father had placed all things in his hands, he washed feet. He knew that. Now listen to this, uh, 1615, what Jesus says in just a, a few paragraphs. All that the Father has is mine. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he, the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine. What's that, class? All things! He'll take what is mine and declare it to you. Wow! St. Paul writes this. All things are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. And so you need to know that. You need to know that you are a child of God about to inherit all things because all things are yours. All things are yours. So there is no thing left to earn. If you wash feet, clean bedpans for money or security or to get love or a sense of belonging in order to earn something, if you serve in order to obtain self-esteem, honor or identity, maybe even salvation, I mean, if you become a slave to try and climb Maslow's pyramid to achieve self-actualization, you don't know it. You aren't doing it, and you'll be miserable. So you must know all things are yours by grace. And yet, you are a child. Uh, child. All things are yours by grace. All things are yours by grace, including the position of slavery. So check this out, because I think this is, where, like, what, this is what Peter did, people in church do. You can't even earn the position of slave. You must surrender to slavery. Maybe you can't even earn happiness. You must surrender to happiness. Maybe you can't really even pursue happiness effectively. So you must know all things are yours by grace, and yet you, you are a child. I mean, you are a slave if you call Jesus master. And, and that's another thing that you need to know, that Jesus is your master. This is so important. That means that the people that you serve are not your master. You're not working 
for them. They are not your master. And if you think they are, you'll be miserable because they'll be a terrible master. Jesus is your master. And, and check this out. He's a good master. You serve a master that is constantly serving you. You are the slave of a master who has enslaved himself to you. So don't make it all about you. You're a slave. But your master has made it all about you because he's enslaved himself to you. His passion is your completeness. Think about that. His passion is your completeness, your happiness, your blessedness. So if he calls you to die, it's so you can live. If he calls you to become a slave, it's so you can be free. If he calls you to surrender some pleasure, it is to receive his joy. So number one, you must know all things are yours by grace. And number two, uh, your master is good. Your, your master is Jesus. You work for Jesus, and Jesus will show up in the last and least of these that you serve, but your master is good. And number three, your master is a slave. And you cannot be better than your master. Jesus said, a slave is not better than his master. But look, your master has become a slave. And he's the pinnacle. He's perfection. He is the very best. So what does that mean? When people treat you like a slave? When you're poor and you're meek and mourning, reviled and persecuted? When you feel like the very last and the least and people don't respect you, oh, you will be tempted to think something is incredibly wrong. But look again. Maybe something is incredibly right. Because you have been aspiring to the office of your master. And your master is a slave. You cannot get better than that. You've gone down the upstairs. You've reached the finish line. You are aspiring to slavery. You see, it's the whole world that's driving in the wrong direction. Don't judge yourself by that standard. If you know these things and do these things, said Jesus, then blessed are you, happy are you, free, free, free are you. You know what really makes me feel enslaved and gets me depressed? my own sense of entitlement, my own sense of my own unalienable rights, my own pursuit of happiness. What I mean is my own drivenness to be self-actualized, my desperation to be honored, to become the master of my own world. My greatest bondage is my desperate desire to make myself in God's image and the constant realization that I fail. 
My greatest bondage is my own will. Isn't that weird? This world tells me that that freedom comes through exerting my will. But Jesus tells me that freedom comes through sacrificing my will. The world tells me that happiness is getting my will. But Jesus tells me happiness is surrendering my will. You know, you really can't pursue happiness. But maybe happiness is pursuing you. Happiness is your father's will. And he has a name. It's Jesus. So freedom and happiness are not getting whatever you will, for whatever you will is the prison in which you are enslaved. And yet when I surrender my will to my master's will, my father's will, the the prison walls are breached and the chains are broken and I meet God. I meet God in even the last and the least of these and they meet God in me. Do you get that? It's like God flows from them into me and out of me back into them. In other words, love flows from them into me and love flows out of me into them. It's like a a river of love that I'm lost in. Love. And at first, at first, love really hurts in this world. It hurts. It's a sacrifice. Love hurts at first, but love is life and life is happy and life is free. Remember what I told you a few weeks ago how The white, rich, Harvard psychologist, Dr. Robert Coles, was mystified by the blessedness, the happiness of little Ruby Bridges. And how he looked down at her, six-year-old little Ruby, when he found out that she was praying for those angry white folks every day, praying for them, morning and evening, praying for them, all those white folks screaming those horrible things at her every day. And how he looked down at her and he asked her, Ruby, you mean you pray for them? Why would you pray for them? Remember her confused response? Well, Mr. Coles, don't you think they need praying for? (laughs) Who needs praying for? The slaves or the masters? Dr. Coles tells about another child that he interviewed, a a migrant worker, 10 years old, already working in the fields. She told him that Jesus cried for everyone. And if we paid attention, that we would cry for everyone too. And he looked down at her and he asked a very similar kind of question. He said, everyone? Do you mean to tell me that that you, that, that, that you even have to pray for the growers? I mean, the rich guys that own all this land? And this 10-year-old girl looked up at him and said, yes, sir. Especially, you have to cry for the rich. Well, they're in the worst trouble of all. Jesus told us so. Now, it's not a bad thing to make a bunch of money. Actually, I think it's a very, very good thing to make a bunch of money. It's just a bad thing to keep a bunch of money. Because then you have to convince yourself that you've earned it. 
In other words, you have to convince yourself that you did not receive it by grace. In other words, you have to convince yourself that you're like the master and not the slave. And that's not blessed. And then you need crying for and you need praying for. And by the way, pretty much everyone I know is rich or Americans. Anyway, see, little Ruby and the migrant worker girl, they know, they knew, it's, it's usually not the slaves who are in the worst bondage. It's those who desperately seek to be the master. You know, even in Jesus' stories about the stewards, remember, who make all the money and stuff, um, you realize that in all those stories, the steward always remains a slave. He doesn't own any of it, and he's happy. And now you may say, okay, okay, heard that message before, but um, Peter, let's get back to the start of this message. Clearly, institutional slavery is evil, and so why didn't Jesus destroy it? Well, he did. Verse 30, so after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas immediately went out, and it was night. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now, when he had emptied himself and morphed into a slave, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children. He calls them little children. Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Love one another by morphing into slaves. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, all people. You, you realize that there is one man in the history of our world, one man who has done more, more than any government or any other person to abolish the institution of slavery and uh, done more uh, to battle against the denigration of women and the abuse of little children than any other man, and that man is Jesus. How weird is that? Well, think about it. Theoretically, there are two ways that you could abolish the institution of slavery. Number one, you could turn everyone into a master. But then everyone is alone. Each master of their own world, yet each utterly alone in that very small, dark little world that I think the Bible refers to ultimately as hell. You could turn everyone into a master, or secondly, what if you could turn everyone into a slave? But I mean a real slave, one who from the heart really wanted to wash another's feet. Peter writes this, slaves submit, verse 18, for this is grace, verse 19. Not the opposite of grace, is grace. Paul writes, slaves obey your earthly masters, verse five, verse nine, and masters do the same to them. Be a slave of your slaves 
And Philemon, take Onesimus back, not as your slave, but as your brother. And Jesus, the master of all, made himself slave for all and commanded us to, to, to love as he has, has loved us. To, to make everyone a master is to cast everyone into hell. And to make everyone a slave is something quite different. You know, when one person becomes a slave, in a world full of people desperately trying to be masters, it looks like that, a crucifixion. When one person sacrifices, it looks like a cross. When two people sacrifice, it looks like what? A marriage. And, and a really good marriage, actually an erotic marriage. And when all people sacrifice, I mean, when, you know, the first become last, and so those last are now first, and they say, well, we're first, so we'll become last, and then those last become first, and the last, first, last, last, first, last, first. I mean, when, when all people sacrifice, it must look like, like a dance, a great dance. Or a banquet, a great banquet. No, a party, a great party. I mean, it must look like the land of the, of the free and the happy, like some sort of promised land. Actually, it must look like the kingdom of heaven, for it is the kingdom of heaven and your home. It's eternal life in God's image. Well, on that night, on that night that Jesus washed the disciples' feet, on that night that the entire world refused to dance, on that night where the entire world desperately sought to be the master, the master of all, took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Amazing Grace. You know that song was written by a slave trader? An ex-slave trader. An ex-master who chose to become a slave. And so, uh, come to the table, tear off a piece of the bread. The dark cups are wine. The light cups are juice. They're both the first step into the great dance. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel and live. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things. That's why I think we come to church and worship every weekend to know these things, but not just take a little knowledge. I mean, Jesus says, you wanna know the good? I'm going to make you eat it. <laughs> we come here to know it deeply in our hearts what the good is. If, if you know these things, blessed are you 
if you do them. And then this is a really good time for the pastor to get you to sign up for the mission project or do a pledge card or something like that, you know. But um, this is the truth. Um, what you do is not just something you do at church. Your entire life is the thing that you do. And so if you're the president of, the com of a company, that's awesome. We need presidents of companies. We'd just be in shambles. Um, but this is what you're called to do. You are called to wash the feet of your employees. And if you're an employee at that company, maybe the very lowest position, you're called to wash the feet of your boss. Maybe you're a mom. You're called to wash your baby's feet. I mean, they probably don't get dirty yet, Jasmine. And then and when she gets older, she's supposed to wash your feet. If you're a pastor and you've got to preach a sermon and you're tired, well, you're supposed to do it to wash uh, somebody's feet, knowing that Jesus is even in the last and the least of these and you're serving him even there. And then he says, blessed are you if you know these things and uh, do them. So in the name of Jesus, may you be blessed. Believe the gospel. Um, and be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey there. I hope the message that you just heard or viewed helped you to believe a little more that God is better than you thought, the love of Jesus is deeper than you know, and the Spirit is everywhere working the wonders of mercy. If that's so, I'd love it if you would consider two things. Number one, ask yourself if there's someone that you know that might benefit from this message and then uh, forward this link onto them. There are several ways that you can do that by visiting our website at thesanctuarydowntown.org. Secondly, I'd love it if you'd uh, take just a moment and uh, ask the Lord if He'd like you to contribute to this endeavor financially. We really can't do this except for the fact that God inspires people like you um, to give. And uh, you can do that by uh, going to the website and clicking on uh, the donate button or uh, by simply mailing a check to the sanctuary downtown at uh, 2215 West 30th Avenue, Denver, Colorado 80211. Uh, thanks for being a part of what we're doing and God bless you.